2: You are listening to the Burrows of Berea Side Studies.
0: Welcome back to another Burrow of Berea's. (laughs) Welcome back to another Burrow of Bereans side study. Uh, It's just me and Andy in the studio today. Andy's on the other side of the glass. Hello, safe. So now you can actually chew, you know, make noises, and I don't care. Oh, I always do.
1: I just mute my mic. Yeah, right. That's what I could never be in the room with you guys. I it would be I, I would just be like holding a completely unnecessary cough in for an hour and a half. Yeah. Because like I just the fact that coughing is not a free option makes me kind of have to do it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I've noticed that like when I go back and listen to the podcast after you've edited, I'm like I remember making a lot more noise than that. So you've <laughs> you helped me out. Oh, like, yeah, there's a lot of that. Yeah, but it's yeah. everybody.
1: You know what I mean? And Nobody's as bad as me. I would absolutely be the worst if you could. If you had to hear all the times I shifted or like, <clears throat> or yeah, that's terrible.
0: Well, you know me. I'm always like leaning over and coughing and hacking and drinking and stuff. So you're taking a lot of that stuff out of there. Well, we're back after that uh, last side study we did on Lucifer. You know, I've it, you actually got me really intrigued because. I had heard that about the Lucifer study, and I'd sort of went into a little bit more in-depth study because when somebody asked me about something, I like to you know try to come back with some answers if I have anything, and then I get a general interest, and then suddenly I become a madman and I'm like studying and studying. Research is really fun if it's a subject you're interested in. Research is I'd like a ton of
1: fun actually. So
0: yeah, and so I actually stumbled upon something that was quite shocking, you know, and it's actually changing my beliefs. A little bit, which is good. That's the part of being a Berean is to study to see if these things are so. And if they're not, then I like to change my beliefs versus changing everything around me to make it fit my narrative, right? Well, that puts you in a very small percentage of the human population. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's just something that it's always been uh, the way that I am. I just want to uh, I want to continuously learn, and uh, if it shapes who I am, then then great. And I've got this clip that I want to play. Um, it is where we're, we are going back to the origins of Satan, but uh, we're going to be doing, you know, continuing on in the Resurrection in our regular uh, upcoming podcasts. And I'm going to be doing a juxtaposition between the Ku Klux Klan and the Civil Rights Movement, and it's it's kind of odd because both groups were using the Bible. Uh, as their background for what they were trying to accomplish. Yeah, it's, yeah. There's been a lot of not. I won't. I don't know about a lot of that, but that's definitely a thing you see. Where, yes. Yeah. And I so I I got a book uh, when I went on my honeymoon. I was down in Sanibel Island. I went to this cool little place called Jean's Books, and man. This, is, this place is awesome. It's like, there's three tiny little beach houses. And when you walk in, it's like wall-to-wall books. Like, I'm talking like they've got Scandinavian mystery. Wow. Oh, it's, it's amazing. And I was like, really? Like in this little place here? And- the lady, there was like one lady that was working there and she was like, yeah, anything you need here, here, here. And they had like this little clearance section where you could get like amazing books for like a dollar. And, you know, Barnes and Noble and those big chains, they really killed out those little bookstores, which made them so great. Oh, you know?
1: and, oh and those those little bookstores are just fun because those like, like what you're describing, that they have so much character. And they often did. They were often like old houses or, you know, crazy weird corners of retail spaces that were... Otherwise, a little difficult to occupy, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, and just filled up with books and, in ways that always made them very interesting. Yeah.
0: yeah, and I just I came across this book. It said Bearing the Cross," and I pulled it out, and it was on Martin Luther King, and I knew I was going to be doing this study on him, and so I thought, well, instead of just doing the easy way out, you know, and just doing some YouTube and, mm-hmm. you know, reading on Wikipedia and all that, I decided to get this pretty large compendium based on his life. And as I've been reading it, I've been fascinated that, you know, he was like a fourth generation minister. Uh, he graduated high school at the age of like 15 or 16 years oh, old. Really? Didn't know that. He went to Morehouse College, but while he was there testing for the college, they said he really only had about an eighth grade reading level. That just sort of tells you about the education that, sure. you know, African Americans got at that time. In Georgia, and and he was in Atlanta. His father was an Atlanta minister, but after going to Morehouse College, then he started learning more about, you know, not just the ministry. He started learning more about himself. But he was a very intelligent young man, and as he went through, and he ends up going all the way, and uh, he went to Crover, I believe, for his master's. Then he got his doctorate at Boston University, and then he accepted a pastorship. Uh, I can't remember the name of his church, but it was in Montgomery, mm-hmm. Alabama, which is when the bus boycott and all that stuff sort of came place. And he was sort of thrust into the forefront of it because he was an eloquent speaker. He was very intelligent. He was young. He had a lot of energy and they needed somebody that could, you know, that could stand up to a lot of the pressure that was coming. But what you find out in the book, and it's, this book isn't about religion. It's really not. I mean, it's called bearing the cross uh, autobiography of Martin Luther King and the Southern Christian leadership conference. But he has, Uh, A differing belief, like he didn't believe in the resurrected Christ uh, early on. Uh, He didn't believe in certain doctrines. And just throughout the book, the author is just peppering in these little things about him and how his faith grew over time. And, you know, we're talking about a man that if I go to Washington, D.C. and I walk down by the Lincoln Memorial, I can just walk right over a little bit and there's a statue of this man there. Yeah. It's it's quite amazing, you know, and I've listened to a lot of uh, civil rights uh, podcasts recently and he's sort of a pariah. He's kind of like, he's just out there and um, he he doesn't necessarily represent the full civil rights movement. You know how things happen, you know, people become famous. Yeah. and Yeah. But- uh, he definitely had a very integral part early on. Um, but I wanted to play this. This is a unique uh, thing. It's about three minutes long, but I just want to play this for everybody and listen to Martin Luther King. This is April 3rd, 1968. This is his final speech. And this is how it goes.
2: All we say to America is be true to what you said on paper. <laughs> if I lived in. of the freedom of speech, somewhere I read, of the freedom of press, somewhere I read, that the greatness of America is the right to protest far right. And so just as I say we aren't going to let any dogs or water hoses turn us around,
0: fascinating. Such such an iconic voice. It really was. Such
1: an iconic voice.
0: Yeah, he was uh, killed by an assassin's bullet the following day. Uh, That was after that speech. And after reading this book and listening to some of his speeches, you know, um, the one at Lincoln Memorial in 63, you know, free at last, free at last, you know. There was something about Martin Luther King that has always sort of stuck with me. If you've ever been in a place where you have to stand up for yourself for whatever that might be. It's hard to do that. You know, I'm yeah, is I'm kind of a, an individual that's driven by fear, you know. I don't want to get beat up and shot and hurt, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah, not a big fighter. No, I'm <laughs> I am certainly a lover and yeah. not a fighter, <laughs> you know. But as I've been studying the this topic of Satan, you know, initially it was kind of like, oh, this is fun, you know, we'll look at this, and then um not to be lighthearted about Satan. Because I know, you know, a lot of believers, you know, they they really do. I mean, they worry about demonic forces and, and the devil and all of these things. I don't, personally, I don't have that same fear. Some people would say I'm crazy for that. But, you know, I've heard people say, the devil got in my printer this morning. And, and I just know it was the devil because I was trying to print something for you to read. And I'm like, dude, you bought a crappy Hewlett Packard. You know, that's... You know, yeah, these things are going to break. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that the devil's getting any Hewlett-Packard. I think know.
1: the devil was Hewlett-Packard. <laughs> I think a big corporate world, you know? Yeah, I think everything they, everything they did to that printer, they did it, you know, hoping that it would only last a certain amount of time.
0: Sure, yeah. So, I discovered something, Andy, that was really shocking, okay? I decided to do some research on the origin of Satan because... Whenever you and I were talking about Lucifer and that woman was talking about fan fiction and all that, it got me intrigued, and so I started looking into it, and I found out that she was accurate. You know, there are places in the Old Testament where they talk about stars that are like heavenly beings, some divine beings, and uh, Christ Himself is called the Bright and Morning Star. Uh, it's it's important to understand that in the ancient world that they saw the world as like a 2D kind of a thing. You know, if you can imagine a big circle and you have in the middle of it, you have the land, like right across the middle, like there's the land. And then above it is the first heaven, which is the sky. And then above it is the second heaven, which is like black fabric with these little shiny stars in it. And that's where the sun and the moon reside, right? And then outside of that into the next heaven is where the the God would be, you know? Huh. And yeah, then I'm
1: not, not actually familiar with that.
0: Yeah, and then if you go below the line, you know, then you have the earth, the land, and then you get down into the deeper part, and that's where Sheol is, and that's where the dead go. Like, that, it was really a 2D view at that time. That's what they truly believed, you know? I mean, in 1492, they thought the earth was flat, okay? And that was 1492. That wasn't too long ago. We're talking about 3,000 years prior to the birth of Christ, you know? They had— you know a basic understanding of the world. So as I started looking into, you know, it's sort of a simplistic approach, but then I thought, well, let's see where Satan came from. Like where does this start? And so we've always understood it as in uh, the book of Genesis that there was the serpent that talks to Eve and says sort of deceives her and then she eats mm-hmm. the fruit and gives it to Adam and so then they've fallen from grace. They they've died spiritually. God kicks them out of the garden. He blocks the garden with these two cherubim angels with flaming swords that can no longer come in. And then that's kind of all you really hear about. I mean that's about it. You don't keep hearing about the serpent. Yeah. It kind yeah. of disappears. In fact, you'll find out in the in the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament, but in the Hebrew Bible, uh, there isn't a really a Satan necessarily. But I had been I taught in a podcast pre-release previously about the book of Job. Because I had said there was this uh, divine counsel, and God was on the throne, and then it says, and Satan came, and then God said, have you considered my servant Job? Uh I remember you saying, you know, whenever God rewarded Job after all of those trials, you said bitter sugar, and I was like, yeah, no kidding, you know. He actually got twofold of everything, but I found out that the Satan that is in that book is not the Satan that we know. Oh, really? He's not. And I was like, wait a minute. Now, wait, 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 wait. Because I thought that he was evil What does that even mean? Yeah, Yeah, like, if if the name is Satan, I'm going to blow your mind. I I can't, I blew my mind. So, I mean, I hope it blows yours if you're looking into this. So, I'm going to read, and this is the coolest part. It feels so, like, What is the word? Not synchronous, but like serendipitous. You know, like I stumbled across something, and it's very interesting because it happens when Balaam is riding his donkey, and which is where we got the name from the show here. Uh So in Numbers chapter 22, all right, I'm going to read the first like 23 or 24 verses, so I can give you a backdrop of what's going on here. And it's, guys, it's shocking. I'm just telling you. All right, so. Numbers twenty-two, and the children of Israel set forward and pitched in the plains of Moab on this side Jordan, by Jericho. And Balak the son of Zippor saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. Now, what's going on at this point is that Israel is on a war path. They are destroying tribe after tribe after tribe, and they're heading towards getting control of their land. Verse 3, and Moab was sore afraid of the people because they were they were many, and Moab was distressed because of the children of Israel. And Moab said unto the elders of Midian, now shall this company lick up all that are round about us as the ox licketh up the grass of the field. So he's like, are they going to bring down here and open up a can of whoop, you know what, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> on us? Are they going to bring us, you know, are they going to come and get us? And Balak, the son of Zippor, was the king of the Moabites at that time. He sent messengers, therefore, unto Balaam, the son of Baor, to Pethor, which is by the river of the land of the children of his people, to call him, saying, Behold, there is a people come out from Egypt. Behold, they cover the face of the earth, and they abide over against me. So they've went to this guy named Balaam, and the king of the Moabites, who are afraid of the Israelites, is saying, Hey, uh, go talk to their speaker and you know, tell him you know, I need to talk to him, Okay. Verse six, come now, therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people, for they are too mighty for me. Peradventure I shall prevail, that we may smite them, and that I may drive them out of the land, for I wot that he whom thou blessest is blessed, and he whom thou cursest is cursed. So is what he's saying is like, I know that whoever you bless is blessed. Balaam is this powerful like spiritual leader, and he says, if you will come and curse these people... Curse the Israelis that are coming in. I know that we'll be able to prevail in battle because I just know if you bless them, you're blessed. If you curse, curse. So curse them. So verse seven, and the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the rewards of divination in their hand. Basically this magic. And they came unto Balaam and spake unto him the words of Balak. And he said unto them, lodge here this night, and I will bring you word again "'as the Lord shall speak unto me and the princes of Moab but with Balaam.'" So Balaam saying, hang out. You guys just lodge here tonight. I'm going to go talk to God and ask him what I should do. You know, he might tell me to curse this people. Then again, he might not, all right? "'And God came unto Balaam and said, what men are these with thee?' And Balaam said unto God, "'Balak the son of Zippor, king of Moab, hath sent unto me, saying, "'Behold, there is a people come out of Egypt, which covereth the face of the earth.'" Come now, curse me them. Peradventure, I shall be able to overcome them and drive them out. And God said unto Balaam, Thou shalt not go with them. Thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. So God's given him the answer. Uh huh. Yeah. The answer no. is no. Okay, absolutely not. So verse 13, And Balaam rose up in the morning and said unto the princes of Balak, Get you into your land, for the Lord refuseth to give me leave to go with you. And the princes of Moab rose up, and they went unto Balak and said, Balaam refuseth to come with us. So, Balaam obeyed what God said. Get out, not going to do it. Verse 15, and Balak sent yet again princes more and more honorable than they. So, it's like, I'm going to send in the big dogs. Yeah, pressure. (laughs) I'm sitting in the big money, big dogs. You know, we're going to try to convince this guy. And they came to Balaam and said, said to him, "Thus saith Balak the son of Zippor, let nothing, I pray thee, hinder thee from coming unto me, for I will promote thee unto very great honor, and I will do whatsoever thou sayest unto me. Come, therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people." So, same question, just with a little bit more clout, right? Instead of the vice president coming, the president shows up, kind of a thing, right? Verse 18, and Balaam answered and said unto the servants of Balak, if Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord, my God, to do less or more. This sounds like a common thing that a holy man or a prophet would say. Hey, no matter what, you you can give me all the silver and gold in the world and I can't do it, right? I'm not going to be able to do it. Now, therefore... I pray thee, I pray you, tarry ye also here this night, that I may know what the Lord will say unto me more. So Balaam says, But hang on, just go ahead and stay here. He might come back. I'm gonna go back and uh ask him one more time. Maybe yeah, he's yeah. got another answer. You know for what? Me. I'll check in the back. Let me <laughs> exactly. And God came unto Balaam at night and said unto him, If the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. But yet the word which I shall say unto thee, thou shalt do. So in other words, he says, all right, in the morning when you wake up, if these princes come back down and call on you, then you can go. But whatever words I give you, you're going to have to say to them. Okay? That's the that's the goal here. Listen to verse 21. And Balaam rose up in the morning and saddled his ass and went with the princes of Moab. That's a great verse. <laughs> yeah, that's another one we'll talk about in our future episode. But here it is. They didn't call on him. He just saddled his ass and went with him on his own. Yeah, I kind of missed that bit, yeah. Right, so he didn't actually go. So verse 22, here's where it is, okay? And God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against him. Now he was riding upon his ass and his two servants were with him. And the ass saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way and his sword drawn in his hand and the ass turned aside out of the way and went into the field and Balaam smote the ass to turn her into the way. But the angel of the Lord stood in a path of the vineyards, a wall being on this side and a wall on that side. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she thrust herself into the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall and he smote her again. And the angel of the Lord went Further And stood in a narrow place where was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she fell down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled, and he smote the ass with the staff. Now, this is where it gets pretty wild. Verse 28, And the Lord opened the mouth of the ass, and she said unto Balaam, What have I done unto thee that thou hast smitten me these three times? Imagine <laughs> your donkey looking up like, why are you smacking me three times, you know? And Balaam said "Under the ass, because thou hast mocked me. You know, it didn't, Balaam didn't go like, man, I can't believe it's a talking donkey, right? Yeah. Like, he didn't yeah, say he just, that.
1: He's in. He's like, <laughs> he's like I'm, I'm like, told. oh, you want to talk about it.
0: <laughs> okay. He was that mad. He didn't even notice that the ass was talking to him. And he says, because thou hast mocked me, I would there were a sword in mine hand, for now would I kill thee? He's like, I wouldn't just smack it around, I'd kill you. He's angry at that ass. He is totally angry at that ass. 30, and the ass said unto Balaam, Am not I thine ass, upon which thou hast ridden ever since I was thine unto this day? Was I ever want to do so unto thee? And he said, nay. This
1: is an amazingly well-spoken ass, by the way. I mean, that's better
0: than In the king's English. I mean, this is amazing, yeah. Well, we're going to go back to the Hebrew. This is where it gets interesting. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way and his sword drawn in his hand and he bowed down his head and fell flat on his face. So at this point, when we get to verse 22, the angel of the Lord, because of God's anger being kindled, the angel of the Lord goes to stop Balaam, okay? Now, if have you ever heard of the Strong's Concordance? No. Okay, so in biblical study, I can't remember the name of the man. I think it's James Strong. I'm not really sure, but uh, his last name was Strong. He did this amazing compendium of words. He actually sat down, and every single Hebrew word, even down to the word is, uh, every single Greek word, he broke them out and numbered them so that if you didn't know the language, if you wanted to see what that word was from the English to the Hebrew, you could go and find it.
1: No, just like, yeah, reference, like it's code, a great like reference. A, what's that called? Uh, when you have like a code break thing, yeah, whatever,
0: yeah, yeah, I know. I, I found when we get in these podcasts that words escape me, and then mm, I just I have to use like 80 anyways. words to describe the one word I'm looking for. Yep, <laughs> it's an exhaustive reference, an exhaustive reference book is what it is. And this man dedicated his life to it, and it's an amazing resource, especially if you want to study. So, because I don't know Hebrew, a cipher, it's a cipher, a cipher, yes. Um, because I'm I'm not a Hebrew scholar, because I am not, you know, a Greek scholar, or because I don't know either one of the languages, if I wanted to go back to see what the original languages, you know, said, I wouldn't know how to do it. This concordance helps you. It helps you find these words and sort of break it out. So, remember what I said. Pop quiz, Andy. Whenever God's anger was kindled, who did he send to stop Balaam?
1: Oh, uh, an angel with a flaming
0: sword? Not a flaming sword, but an angel of the Lord that stood with a sword drawn. The angel of the Lord, okay? So I pulled up the Strong's Concordance and I wanted to break this down. And when I did, I came across the word adversary. Okay, the adversary. Adversary. So it's Hebrew number, if anybody's looking in their concordance at home, it's the Hebrew number 7854. If you click on it, it says it's a transliterated word. Do you remember what transliteration was? Oh, yeah. It's where you kind of used the sound. It's of, like yeah. baptizo, and yeah. instead of it being, and we just adopted it in the English language as uh-huh. baptist yeah. or baptism. It That wasn't an English word. So, we just used that word and transliterated it. Okay. So, this is a transliterated word, Satan. So, the angel of the Lord was a Satan. Huh. What I discovered, and it's actually in Hebrew, it's pronounced satan. But anytime you see the word Satan in the Old Testament, there's a definite article of the, the. The Satan. The Satan. And it it's hasatan. That's how ah. it's said. This is the first time that the word Satan shows up in the Bible, is in Numbers, the fourth book of the Torah. Wow. Satan.
1: Hasatan. So, it's like a, a title. Ugh. Yeah, it's like a title. It's
0: actually a function. A function. He's oh, an it's adversary. Yeah. It's it's really not a huh. name. But you know how they I, took I've definitely Lucifer? heard of Satan called the adversary as yeah. well. Yeah, Which is, too. that's the evil one, the adversary, yeah, the devil, sure. the I accuser. Guess, yeah. I mean, he's got all kinds of names, right? But in this instance, if you're going to use the word Satan, as we know, which is the transliterated word, and you read the Bible and you see that the angel of the Lord acted as the Satan— yeah, that doesn't. That does not compute in the way that it we makes think you of feel it. like yeah. it's evil. As soon as you hear the word Satan, because Satan is evil, and that's it. It's not. The Satan is adversary. That's all that he stood against Balaam to prevent him from going to stop him, and the donkey was trying to save his life. You know, so the Satan had a sword drawn ready to kill on behalf of God. So when I did, I started doing more huh, research. That is that is fascinating. Yes, isn't it? I mean, that's exactly what I said. I was like, now, wait, 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 wait. What are you talking about? So, there's there are more. In 1 Samuel nine four. it says, And the princes of the Philistines were wroth with him. Talking about David. Okay. And the princes of the Philistines said unto him, Make this fellow return, that he may go again to his place, which thou hast appointed him, and let him not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he be an adversary. Unless he be a Satan. Huh. You'd be one of the Satan. Now we're talking about King David. Yeah. That's the lineage of Christ. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Remember, son of David, son of Abraham. So David, he is acting as a Satan, the Satan against the Philistines. So yeah, you're right. It's not even a title. It's a function. It's literally a function. Second Samuel, and David said, what have I to do with you, ye sons of Zariah, that ye should this day be adversaries unto me, being the Satans to me. So he would say being hasatan to me is how he would say it. Oh wow. So that function, is absolutely fascinating. Absolutely. It is, isn't it? Now I'm going to take us back to Job because I want I want everyone to understand that my whole life I have believed that this was the devil himself that was walking in the throne room of God because he says, so because God asked the question, where have you been? Well, this is this is fascinating. Just let me turn to this. Job chapter 1. So, it talks about that there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. Let's go to the common English, shall we? Well, actually, let's stay in the King James because I'm going to drop down to verse number 6. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan... Came also among them, and the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? I've read this before. Yeah, yeah. Now, if it says Satan, with what we know in the English language, and it's a transliterated word, it's automatically evil. Sure. Yeah, you're going to just take this hear it. This is a that mistranslation. It's a. It's actually a mistranslation in the King James Version of the Bible. And I know that doesn't sound shocking to you, but for somebody who has studied the King James Bible and has fought for the King James Bible forever, it was a little shocking. Huh. Lucifer was the same way. I st- I got back to it and I was like, she's 100% right. It's a transliterated word and it's all from fan fiction. I love Yeah, it's still, still hilarious to me, the use of fan fiction in that context. Yeah, I mean, it's like... Now, wait a second. Wait, 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 wait. If you read this story, each time this Hasatan, the adversary, stands, okay? So if I pull up, let's see, this one is going to be uh, Job chapter 1, verse 6. And if you'll give me just a moment, I want to pull that up on my other Bible with my special old concordance, Job 1. Six and I look at Satan. Let's see what it is. Right here. H7854 Satan. It's the same word. Huh. So do your do your homework, listeners. All uh, you Jackson Jennies, Pull up your concordance and look up the look up that Hebrew number in the Strong's concordance of H. Uh, what was it? Oh, you just seven answered. eight five four. They could have rewound it. They have. They could have. Yeah, yeah. Rewind it. No, H seven eight five four. Look up that
1: word. First Every- off, find a, the Strong's concordance because that's fascinating. A fascinating thing I've never heard of. That is. You can really download neat.
0: it free from the Google Play. It's right there, and it's easier. You can actually click. You don't have to flip search. through the books. Yeah, it's just like super quick. Like everything I just That's did, I really did real neat. time. That's yeah. so neat. So, why did the translators decide to use that word, Satan, the transliterated word, instead in that place yeah. of adversary? Why? Like, I don't know. what I gave mean, do them- you? Do, are you are you winding towards an answer, or is that just an open kind? I of... I don't have an answer. I honestly don't understand. Do you remember when I was talking about systematic theologies and I said how like dispensationalism or premillennialism or amillennialism or this and that, these theologies that are built for us prior to becoming a Christian, whenever they lay out this theology, it's a belief system and then they take the specific word, the specific Bibles or specific, you know, like if you go into Mormonism, they give you the Book of Mormon. Sure, yeah. And you read the Book of Mormon and that is their scripture. And so you're raised on that. You characterize your life based on those beliefs that you've been given, right? But there are a whole lot of different sects that use the same 66-book Bible, and but they split. There's so many different factions. However, the King James Version of the Bible, as it was translated, they already had specific beliefs in mind anyway, and so when they wrote this Bible, they placed specific words in specific places to help control the narrative, Huh. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, that, that only makes sense to me. Frankly. It does. Well, of course. If you're trying to upset the the Catholic Church and start the Church of England, sure, why not change it and do it the way that you want to, right? Well, I
1: think, I think anybody that well, – it's part of a problem that I have with the Bible is I don't see why anybody printing one of those books doesn't have some ax to grind. And it might not be nefarious, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? But they're going to have what they believe and they're going to – and what seems – self-evident to them they're gonna change it to make it more obvious to the reader does that make sense oh, yeah. like they're gonna they're gonna you know they're gonna cut the angle that they see and sure. that's yeah again it's not necessarily nefarious but yeah people are gonna put their twist on stuff they can't not
0: right and and that I think that's that's a turnoff to people if they are involved in like in a faith like if they discover it about themselves rather than taking a step back and saying, you Know maybe, maybe I was just in this uh cult and then they just give up religion altogether. I'm just sick of it. I don't want you know, yeah, I'm done with I it. Just,
1: it's just human to me. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's yeah, there's no way around it. It's just no, just how people be,
0: it's how people be. And it's like, you know, you and I, okay, we I come from um this crazy upbringing, you know, where I have drugs and alcohol, but the Bible. And then I have atheism and lots of love and affection, you know, like it's simultaneously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's,
1: it's, it's cr- these seeming
0: contradictions. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, we've talked about the love of God and where I go and how I got, and you know, we talked about maturing and becoming your age and, you know, all of those things. I can't deny the experiences that I've had as a man personally and from my belief in God and what I've done over over the course of my life. I I didn't just make some irrational decision one day. Like this was a, a conscious decision that I made. And so, but I still have atheist <laughs> family members, you know, yeah. that I talk to and I've, let me be let me be frank. I love you and I love my family. And if I like it does not change my feelings or emotions about people. There are some sects that would disagree with that. They would say, Don't even eat with them. Oh yeah. 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 My my parents have been like sort of going to
1: Jehovah's churches for years, but mm-hmm. won't actually do the what's it called? I don't know. Won't actually convert fully into the church. Sure. Then they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't be able to talk to me technically.
0: Which is just f- wild. Isn't that crazy?
1: Wild, man.
0: It's yeah. Wild. They every one of these sects, what they do is they they preach and talk about the love of God but they actually don't exercise that love. It's like it's the craziest thing. I want these people to do a paradigm shift, like just stop for a second. I'm going to give you like I'm not going to say the man's name, okay? But I always usually bring some sort of a personal testimony or something. Mm-hmm. So in my younger days in in my work I'm by trade I'm a toolmaker okay I went to school for machining and toolmaking mm-hmm. and then uh, that's what I was for years and years and they were like you're really good at
1: this why don't you go into sales
0: <laughs> <laughs> It's yeah, funny how I,
1: careers work It right? is
0: weird yeah like I went I went oh, from toolmaking for years and then I went I got out of tool making and, and I taught myself how to design with 3D modeling software, and so then I get put into this engineering group, and then I become the leader of the engineering group. And I am not an engineer, and my brother Colin will absolutely tell you that I am not an engineer because mm-hmm. he has a degree and I don't. Yeah, and he's right, by the way. And I love Colin; he's so friggin' smart, it's ridiculous. But uh. You know, he he told me what he's like. You're not an engineer; just admit it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you're right. I'm just a guy that knows know. how to use software. Yeah. You know, so and then I they put me into sales and all that, and then I you know I started my own company, and and now I ha- I own a machine shop, and we do all kinds of things, and you know whatever. Uh, in my earliest time when I first started, I had a boss who was uh, he was trying to teach me, you know how to. How to do the basics in this. I, I didn't have any schooling. I got hired off the street as a favor you know, Mm -hmm. to my father-in-law, and so I got this opportunity, and I'm trying to make the best of it, you know, I've got this young wife and a young baby on the way, you know, and I'm like, I got to make it, I got to make it, you know, and so I get this boss, and he's trying to teach me things, and I actually start to excel, I'm doing pretty well at it, you know, and I'm like, hey, I might have actually found my thing, like, I can actually do this, you know, and so I start learning more and more and more, and I start going to school, and I start learning more and more and more, and I'm really beginning to excel, you know. And uh, I was just having a conversation with my boss one day, and <laughs> I said to him, You know, I could see myself having your job someday. Yeah. Oh, was I think you told this? Did story. I tell this story? I think
1: you did. I mean, in a different manner, I think.
0: No, trying this would get
1: a different point.
0: That was a different guy. Oh, I, really? think. I was talking about so David Allen, and he around? said, You can't take my job. Just, so you just run around telling, telling everybody. People. <laughs> 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 did I tell you oh, I was clueless in my younger days? You know? right. Anyway, anyway, no, sorry, but, sorry. No, okay. th- the first one with David Allen, I-, I had said he was training me and teaching me everything that uh-huh. he knew. And I, because of my first boss, who I'm getting ready to tell you about. Okay. That experience told me to ask him, Why are you showing me so many things and being kind? Aren't you afraid I'm going to take your job? Uh-huh. And he was like, Okay, that's right. It yeah, was a you different context. Yeah. yeah, you can't take my job. God gives me the job. That's what he says. Yeah. So my first boss tells me, You're never going to get my job. In fact, I'm going to make sure you're not going to get my job. Ugh, and he people. made my life like a living hell for like two years to the point that I had a dream. Like, I was at the shop outside. I <laughs> I shimmied up a pine tree about 30 feet. I got a bow and arrow, which I have never shot in my life. And I shot him in the back and killed him in my dream. Wow. I woke up in a puddle of sweat. Like for real, like I don't dream and I don't wake up in puddle of sweat. I actually did. And I, I was like... I just told my wife I was like I got to I got to quit my job like this uh, is it like I'm Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> yeah. This is affecting me mentally. So you take that and he was a very hardcore like Christian, like very hardcore. And this was prior to me becoming converted, but it was really a turn off to me. Like he was so hardcore. Like if if this person had a child out of wedlock, then you know they were full of hell and they needed to do this and that, you know, it was just ugh, very a, a big turn off. But as I got more and more religious, I started seeing more and more people like that. Mm-hmm. And I realized, okay, I don't want to be them, but at the same time, a religion seems to me to entirely fail to be an indicator of any
1: sort of virtue. It doesn't it doesn't mean you're less virtuous than anybody else. but as far as
0: I can tell, it also doesn't mean you're more virtuous than anybody else. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so fast forward uh, you know 20 years. Fast forward 20 years and uh, I have this individual that comes to me and he says that he needs a job. And he informs me that he has, he has three daughters, two of which are having children out of wedlock right now. And there's two sides of me. I've told you this. It's before. The same guy, same guy.
1: Ah, so there's
0: two sides of me. There's a side of me that says <laughs> revenge. <laughs> right, right. How, like, how could you not think that if that guy made you that
1: unhappy? Right. How, how do you not have that thought? That, yeah, I mean, like, you just want to say something like,
0: how are you holding up your head at church, you sinning bastard? Yeah. You know, like, but, yeah. that, but because of all of the experiences I've had in my life and where I am. You're you know, far enough away from
1: it and and you came out of it okay, which makes it a lot easier to be nice in the end. Sure, sure. When you, get, when you come out of it, things work out for you. Yeah, yeah and I, you know, I don't easier, know if yeah. it's
0: because I've just matured in my age, but I've just, I've studied so sure. much on being kind and loving, you know, that, I just I saw it for what it was, and you know.
1: Yeah, and, and I'm sure, I'm sure this whole thing isn't lost on him either. There's no way that's lost on him. No lost on him. I don't know. I don't know. You'd be surprised no. at you well, know all I the guess people that's that true. are. Some people can be pretty dense, can't they? Yeah.
0: I mean, hey, there are some crazy religious people that would just like kick their daughters out, just like you said. Your parents, like they didn't fully convert because they wouldn't be able to talk to you. Yeah. I mean that it's pretty hardcore. You know, it's pretty hardcore. But when it comes to, I'm going to reel this back to Satan. When it comes to the belief, I've told you, I've said this before, that it's a very dualist thing. Mm -hmm. You know, good, evil, black, white, God, Satan. But to find that out, uh, that there's only, I think, 29 references of Hasatan in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm.
1: Twenty nine, and, and yeah. they're all and they're all the Satan, the Satan, or the adversary mostly. I su- that's right, suspect, adversary. In, the but the,
0: in Hebrew, when they said it was Hasatan, and that there was only uh-huh. twenty nine times in the Old Testament. Huh, uh, and it's
1: like like you see one of them was was uh, Dave, One of David's. One, one, of, one of them one? was David.
0: David. Yeah, David himself, wow, see, King that's, David. That's pretty wild. He was he was the Satan in the story, and then there was an angel of the Lord who was the Satan Acting as well. As
1: The Satan or whatever, yeah.
0: So it's important to understand that it was a function. But here's where it gets weird. This is where it gets weird. When the New Testament comes out, it's like, bam, like right in your face, right? Jesus, here he is. Uh-huh. Uh He's born. Mark says he's the son of God.
1: Oh, I I see where you're going with this. It's about this like our need for like a dialectical narrative sort of thing. Yes. Yeah.
0: And it's but funny enough, it's that not only was that need, but do you remember me talking about the pseudopigrapha? Mm -hmm. which I need to redefine that, okay? It's not false writing. It is, but it's falsely ascribed writing. It's like falsely titled. So if somebody wrote this book, uh, then they would put a name on it. Kind of like I said, the Gospel of John was actually written by Lazarus, but they had to legitimize the book, so they put the apostle's name on it. So the same with this, like the Book of Enoch is a pseudepigraphal writing. Enoch was the only person that walked with God and was taken up and never died, you know, except for Elijah, but Enoch anyway. And so... Uh, This Book of Enoch sort of legitimizes it and that, oh, well, if he was up there, then he would know all the things going on in heaven and going on, you know. So this falsely ascribed writing, well, during that intertestamental period, what they call Second Temple Literature or Pseudepigrapha, falsely ascribed writings, the develop of demonic power, uh, evil rulers in the spiritual realms, and the complete and utter ruler of the the adversary himself who we gave the name satan like the absolute adversary develops over this time in that 400-year period from malachi the end of the old testament until the book of mark and matthew arrive 400 years later so it, this is where the development of this adversary begins, the evil one, mm-hmm. okay? And there are books written in the pseudopigrapher that sort of tell you how this happens, like legitimately how it happens. And then when the New Testament hits, boom. So it says, Jesus goes up to John the Baptist. He gets baptized. He gets up out of the water. The skies open up. God the Father says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then it says, and straight away, Jesus went into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Huh. It's like, boom, here's this guy. Wow. You know? And so now you've got this evil, like you said, dialectical, diabolical character opposite of the Holy One. And part of his mission is actually defeating the dark forces that are actually going against God. Okay? So it's actually, (laughs) dude, it's fascinating. Like, it is fascinating. But it's sort of changed my philosophy a little bit. It's actually changed my philosophy.
1: So when we get up to the New Testament, who's the the, do you know anything about that devil described there when he goes into the wilderness? Like,
0: yeah. So he really you learn more about him. Uh, He is Beelzebub. He's one of the. He's like the ruler of all dark gods, Uh dark demons. Um, See, that sounds so Old Testament to me. It does. Because it is. Yeah. Because in Genesis chapter 10, back in the Old Testament, Uh man had gathered around and built this tower called the Tower of Babel. Have you ever heard Uh of it? Yeah. So they build it up. It's like they're going to build it to the top of the the heights, the highest heights, the heavens. But then God looks down and says, let's go down and frustrate the man and stop him from doing this. Mm -hmm. And so he takes and they split the people up by language like strikes them, they change their language and scatters them across the earth so that they can't work together anymore. Then he establishes 70 nations and he puts a ruler over each one. Mm -hmm. Well, unbelievably, Dr. Michael S. Heiser, who is a well-known scholar in the Old Testament, you know, uh, Bible, the canon, he is actually saying that those 70 rulers aren't humans, that they're actually demigods that God created. Well, that's interesting. So, Although not entirely
1: mind-blowing because if you like look at just like straight up Catholicism a little bit Mm -hmm. god they have some there are some wild characters in there yeah that just kind of get left out uh like post-Lutherian is that the right way to say that stuff Mm -hmm. that just kind of get left behind but oh man the the devils and the the characters and the the legend, a lot of which I suppose is fan fiction, but <laughs> yeah. but that they that the Catholics seem to take very seriously,
0: or mm-hmm. at least fairly seriously, it's wild stuff, you know. Sure, I mean Jesus Himself speaks and says um, when after He sends out, He sends out seventy disciples. I'd never picked up on this before. So yeah, I wonder if that's just a coinky dink or no? It's not a coincidence. There are seventy rulers right, over Uh 70 nations, and Jesus sends out 70 disciples, and when they come back, he gives them the power to cast out demons, it says, okay? So he sends them out, and when they come back, they're excited, and they're like, the demons were doing what we were saying, and Jesus says, I saw Satan fall from heaven. I'm like, what in the world is going on? Like... Uh When we read the scriptures a lot of time like in this modern age everything is like how do we apply the Bible you know like let's apply it yeah that's and and that's fine like you have the you have that side of it but there are so many things in this book that people are not realizing are there yeah like I saw Satan falling from heaven. And then later on, like in Revelation chapter twelve, you know, and then Michael the archangel comes down and he smites the dragon, the old serpent,
1: oh yeah, yeah. the devil,
0: Satan, and he falls from, you know, and then he's taken into the pit, you know, and like Revelation is all the symbology about the satanic forces and the Antichrist and the beast and uh-huh. all of these things are being dealt with. Christ, Jesus Christ, or like I, you know. His name is Yeshua. I, lo- I prefer to say that. It's so weird that that we would call Jesus yeah, Yeshua. Yeah, anglicized. I don't know. Maybe it was just, hmm. I don't know. Actually, I know how it went. Basically, his name was translated in the Greek, which is I-E-S-U-S, yesus And then when it was translated, the J arrived in around the 14th oh, okay. or 15th century. They put that in there and they, Jesus came out in English. That's how it happened. And so we call him Jesus. But his true name... In Hebrew is Yeshua. Yeah, it's much more Jewish, much yeah. more just Which means Yahweh Jewish. saves. Yeah. That's what it means. Uh. And so if I walk up to you and say, you know, hey, you know, Yeshua saves, you know, they're they're like, you mean Jesus, man? You know, like I you know, I get it, you know, but um So you'd be saying Yahweh saves, saves. Yahweh save, saves, saves. Yeah. yeah, if you say
1: Yeshua <laughs> saves, you're like, Yahweh save, saves, saves.
0: <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Yeshua saves, Yahweh saves, saves. That's right. That's good. But the more, I'm glad you brought you sent me that TikTok. Like I never have I've never thanked anybody for sending me a TikTok before. But we were you, like now I have to figure out how to watch this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's so fascinating where this is you know leading. So I'm going to continue the study here, um, and sort of get you into the New Testament. Satan. Yeah, uh, yeah. Very interested to see that keep going. Yeah. Like I'm gonna go into the pseudepigrapha, and I'm actually gonna pull books that are considered non-canonical mm-hmm. and I'm gonna show you the development of this character, who he is from, and the five devils uh-huh. that you know that are that taught man how to use iron and the other one taught him how to create jewelry and the other one was sorcery and like it's pretty amazing. That's cool. And then they, interesting for sure. That's and very you interesting. Also find out that they quote it in the New Testament. They quote those books, and I'm like, "How can it not be canonical if these canon books are quoting that book? How come that's not canon?" Yeah. And then I find out, oh, there are actually there are sects of churches that use those books that are quoting it. Oh, yeah, that I kind of know not which ones,
1: but loosely that. Yeah, you like know, the
0: Ethiopian they, Church, like yeah. 88 books in the Bible. You know, they use pseudepigraphal writings. They use apocryphal writings. Yeah, you know, it's it's fascinating. So I'm going to get into that more and more. Yeah, that's neat. Yeah, that's I mean, a fun fun little road. It is. Yeah. And I, I feel like when I do this podcast that sometimes, you know, we joke a lot and, you know, we don't get, you know, we don't, we're not too serious, but I want to be serious with people too. You know, I, I do have a faith and it mm-hmm. doesn't change how I feel about Andrew Aaron Bishop at all. Aww. Oh, I know. Isn't that sweet? You are in trouble, by the way. I used your full name, but <laughs> it's Good thing you're I behind the glass. <laughs> 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 no, but you know, it's, it's very difficult when you're a Christian. It's it's like you're always, you feel like this need to proselytize people. Mm-hmm. But it was more out of a like a point, because they tell you to. Like, you should, you know, people are dying and are going to hell, and you need to do this, and you need to do that. And so you feel this sense of guilt mm-hmm. on trying to tell someone about Jesus and or Yeshua or whatever you want. Because you feel the need to because your preacher has said so and if you don't do it you're not acting like a good Christian should but I also see the benefits of it and it's there's a very fine line between proselytizing and sharing
1: yeah well I mean it it only makes sense from your perspective frankly mm-hmm. it only makes sense from your perspective if you think you're doing
0: someone a service that is doing them an enormous good yeah yeah to me it's like I've do you remember what Cherry said she said I never even thought about hell I never even thought about heaven. She was like my life was just a wreck. Yeah. And I had I had nowhere to turn and then suddenly this thing shows up and it gave me hope. And that's what it was for her. And it developed over time more and more it became, you know, deeper for her. But that's what, you know, for me it wasn't about heaven and hell either. I just you know, I felt a lack of love in my life and somebody told me that God loved me and I was like, well, who's God? And where do I find him? And does he have any bubble gum? You know, yeah. like as a kid, you know, and then over time, you know, that love, it's still it's still so meaningful to me. But as I've shared, and I'm going to read one last thing and then I have this awesome joke. <laughs> All right. I really got to bring it here to you. But I want to read this uh, this quote that I found. There may come a time... When it will be possible for you to humiliate your worst enemy or even to defeat him. But in order to love the enemy, you must not do it. You remember me telling you about my old boss and the yeah. opportunity? Okay. Yeah. The Greek language has another word for love. It calls it agape. Agape is more than romantic love. Agape is more than friendship. Agape is understanding, redemptive goodwill for all men. Agape is an overflowing love a spontaneous love, which seeks nothing in return. And theologians would say that it is the love of God operating in the human heart. When you rise to love on this level, you love all men, not because you like them, not because their ways appeal to you, not because they are worthful to you, but you love all men because God loves them. And you rise to the noble heights of loving the person who does the evil deed while hating the deed that the person does. And I think this is what Jesus means when he says, love your enemies. Martin Luther King Jr. Oh, that's nice. That's a great quote. It is. And he understood through the efforts of nonviolence and through the efforts of love, when he read the Bible, that's what he saw. He didn't see the evil and the meanness and the judgmental part of it. He looked at humanity and he said, you know, white people are not the enemy. You know, they, they, they may seem like the enemy, but if God loves them and we're to love our enemy, then there's something else. What I want is for my daughter to be able to walk hand in hand with a little white boy in a peaceful land someday. That's what I want. And he came to the end of his life, and he said, I've been to the mountaintop. That's a reference to Moses. Yeah, absolutely. Moses was on the mountaintop seeing the promised land. Clear reference. And he didn't get to the promised land. Moses didn't. Moses died before he got to the promised land. He wasn't allowed to go to the promised land, according to what the Lord said. And neither did Martin Luther King. He didn't get to the promised land either. He was snuffed out way too young. But he never changed his stance. You know, he he wanted nonviolence, which had worked in India with Mahatma Gandhi. Yep. You know, who was not a Christian. I mean, no, he just used nonviolence. Mm. I believe that uh I think I can't remember, I think it's Donna that had on her truck um Mahatma Gandhi said, An eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. Oh yeah, yeah. That's
1: <laughs> yeah, classic quote.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but for the for nonviolence, you know, that's what Martin Luther King did. And what we found, what I've learned over time, I found that to be true. I found that not only just in mellowing out my old age, but if I can truly understand that this, that God actually does love these people, stop telling people they're going to hell. You are not their judge. Mm. You don't know anything about their life. Absolutely. You need to do a paradigm shift. And instead of telling them where they're going, ask them what you can do for them. Be there for them. Be helpful. Be caring, and when you see an injustice, stand up for someone. You know, and and try to do it in a peaceful manner. I mean, that's that's kind of the idea. Am I becoming a hippie or something? I like think that? you are.
1: I think you're a hippie, Rick. <laughs> Everybody, I want you to know that Rick actually came in in a tie-dyed shirt and some sort of moccasins
0: today. <laughs> yeah. Truthfully, though, I'm actually wearing this really hot vest. I mean, it's a hot day. Why am I wearing a vest? I wear a vest every day. I don't know why. It's do just you, my Every thing. day? I do. I try really? to cover my fat belly. Yeah, it's just a way to try to look thin but it doesn't work it's like look at that fat guy wearing a vest look at that well you just hope that everybody just sees the shirt and
1: (laughs) since the vest is black they just they they don't count that you know so it looks like your whole profile is that much thinner exactly yeah be the so as uh, now I'm gonna have to like every time I see you I'm gonna be like is Rick in a vest yeah (laughs) check him out man (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna I'm gonna gonna, yeah now every time I see you this is gonna be the first thing you think is he wearing a vest today (laughs)
0: right yeah So the joke. Okay. All right. So this comes from my wife. She tells me this joke the other day. I've done a little spin on it. So if anybody's been listening to these jokes, get ready. So Forrest Gump dies and goes to heaven, and he sees this angel standing at the gate. It's a big line, and there's three other lines over there. Sound familiar? Oh yes, I. So I finally found out the name of this angel. It was Larry, the fifteenth apostle. He's the one. It's not Peter. It's Larry the 15th Apostle. He's standing at the gates. And Forrest goes up to him. And the angel looks at him and says, you're a very interesting character. It doesn't say that you are a lover of sex or a lover of money or a lover of the drink. You're an interesting individual. But it does say here that you were just a little bit slow. Um, Didn't mean to offend. But that's just how it goes. Mm-hmm. Okay? That's the reality of this. So uh, I'm going to have to ask you three questions so I can figure out which level to put you into heaven and Forrest comes like okay he says all right that was a pretty good gump pretty good huh so the first question was how many days of the week start with the letter t so forrest sits and he thinks you know he sort of sticks his tongue out to the side you know mm, he's really thinking hard and he's like uh shucks that's actually pretty easy uh that would be today and tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> so the so larry the 15th apostle sort of chuckles and he says, you know, honestly, that's a <laughs> it's an accurate answer. I don't think you got it, but I'm gonna give you the pass. That's good. All right, time for the second question. This one's a little bit harder, so you're gonna have to think, how many seconds are there in a year? And it was immediate. Forrest comes like, oh, that's easier than the first one. 12. So Larry's like, 12? I don't think you understood the question. Oh yeah, January 2nd, February 2nd. <laughs> So Larry laughs a little bit and he's like, Oh, uh, I got to let you pass on that. We're like, You got it right. Okay. So, all Not right. So
1: technically wrong. Yeah,
0: exactly. So the third question is by far the hardest. In fact, I don't know very many people that can answer it. So here it goes, Forrest. What is God's first name? And Forrest Gump didn't even. Miss a beat. And he's like, Oh, that's even easier. My mama used to sing it to me in the kitchen. And he walks with me. And he talks with me. <laughs> Andy. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you'd like that one, Andy. I you got like the first name of-, of
1: God. I, I do. Andy's a God. Andy, <laughs> me, I Andy, Andy the God. Andy. Not me. Andy the other 17th one. apostle.
0: Yeah. Andy walks with me. Andy talks with me. So, anyway. All right. Well, thanks for listening, guys, this week, Andy. Thanks, as always. And uh, uh, next week, we'll have the whole drove of asses back here in the studio. Nice. Yeah, very exciting. We do have an episode coming forward where we're going to be taking verses out of context, which are... Absolutely phenomenal. So let's, let, let me just give you an, an example of what that show is going to be like. I sent this to Billy Kimsey the other day. Ezekiel 2319, yet she increased her prostitution, remembering the days of her youth when she engaged in prostitution in the land of Egypt. She lusted after their genitals as large as those of donkeys, and their seminal emission was as strong as that of stallions. We're going to break that one down and study for a while. I, I don't guess. think so, but I don't I, think I've, I was no one's say, ever read like, that to what, me in church.
1: Yeah. What are you going to, what are you going to study out of that? I'd like to see someone, I guess context would be nice. Maybe I'll <laughs> wait for context.
0: Well, yeah, we'll take them out of context and we'll laugh and then I'll break down the context just for fun. But okay. Anyway. All right, guys, well, we'll talk to you next week when we're all back together. Thanks a lot. All right. Thank you, Rick. Bye.